The scripture reading today is from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 25 through 40. When the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luciana. Well, as we uh, approach Easter, we've been spending the season of Lent leading up to Easter uh, letting Jesus tell us who he is. A lot of us have a lot of ideas about Jesus. I mentioned in a sermon a few weeks ago uh, one of my favorite scenes, the beginning of Talladega, or uh, the scene in Talladega Nights where they're all talking about around the dinner table, and, and one of them says, I like to think of, of Jesus as, you know, eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus. Listen to his baby, baby Einstein DVDs. And he goes, I think of him in a tuxedo t-shirt because he's just fun. And we all have different ideas of who Jesus is. But, um, you know, very often Jesus' self-understanding challenges our understandings of who Jesus is. And he often resists our categorizations. He often provokes us to think more deeply and to realize maybe what we thought we knew is a little less concrete than we thought. We've heard Jesus say, I'm the true vine. I am the way and the truth and the life. He said, I am the gate. He says, I'm the good shepherd. 
I am the light of the world. This morning, we get to Jesus' statement in the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. Now, this, in some ways, is one of the harder uh, statements to preach on because, well, because all of John 6 is trying to make sense of what does this mean that Jesus is the bread of life. And John 6 happens to be one of the longest chapters in the New Testament. It's 71 verses. Um, So you're welcome for not asking Luciana to read 71 verses for you this morning. That would be the whole, I would just get up and say amen and we'd be done. Um, There's no way we can explore all of that. But the good news is we we don't actually have to understand all of Scripture in order for it to speak to us. So unless you're a nutritionist, Um, you don't have to understand how certain enzymes in your gut, you know, break down the nutrients in your food and somehow distribute them to your cells and help you to grow and be healthy. And like, I don't even know if those are the right words or if that's what actually happens. Um, And Dick, you can tell us after the fact how right or wrong I was. You don't like, you don't have to understand that. You just need to eat. You don't have to understand the mechanics of digestion in order to get the nutrition from your breakfast this morning. There are a lot of times that we don't actually understand scripture, and maybe it's not even that important that we understand it. We just need to eat. We just need to get the word of God in us and let him feed us through his word, or as we're thinking of today, we just need to get the bread of life inside of us and let him change us. We just need to eat. So this morning we're going to eat, and John 6, that's a fitting transition because John 6 starts with a lot of people eating. If you read the beginning of John 6, you would see that it's one of Jesus' most famous miracles. It's when he feeds 5,000 people. Actually, John says 5,000 men, so presumably a lot more because there are women and children. 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish, which is an astonishing miracle in itself. He, He goes shopping, he gets one grocery bag, and he feeds the whole city of Portsmouth. That's about the numbers that we're talking about. And after all this, this is evidently pretty exhausting for Jesus, and so he tries to get away, and he sails across a lake, and then the next morning, he's kind of hoping to have some time away, but, but everybody who was there is so just befuddled by this, they think, I've, I've got to find out more. So they track Jesus down. They track him down. Why? We don't know exactly. I'm not sure they knew exactly why they needed to find, but this guy did something I've never seen before. I've never experienced anything like this. I need more of him. You ever found yourself there? Like, I don't, have you ever found yourself saying something like, you know, I don't even know X or Y or Z about Jesus. I can't even explain why, but there is just something about Jesus that is so magnetic that I can't not Want to, want to experience more of him. That's more or less what's going on here. And so they track Jesus down, and there's a lot of this back and forth and this confusing teaching that, frankly, I don't even understand exactly what Jesus is trying to say or get at. But at one point, he says this to the crowd. Once they've found him, He says, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're looking for me because you experienced something. 
and you actually felt the benefits of it. And then he turns the table, and this is where he gets more cryptic. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, there's some more cryptic back and forth that goes on, and I'm not sure, I bet the crowd was probably about as confused by Jesus' teachings as even I am right now. I'm like, what? And they're probably like, what? And eventually Jesus realized that he, he has to get more and more concrete. And this is kind of my paraphrase of it, just trying to make sense of it. It's as if Jesus says, listen, you, you ate bread yesterday, and it filled you up yesterday. And this morning you were hungry again. And they all go, yeah. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And whoever eats of me will never be hungry again. Now, we know people are confused because they basically say, like, great, like, where do we buy that bread? They didn't have it in a market basket. Maybe we can go to, to Hannaford and pick that up. There, I don't... And Jesus keeps trying to clarify it, but, but you Basically, what he's saying is you're looking for all of these signs. You're looking for all of this validation and all of this confirmation. And a sign is good, but the real thing is right in front of you. And you're so worked up about looking for the sign that maybe you're missing the fact that the real deal, the thing to which the sign points, is right here and right now. A sign, a good sign, points to something greater than itself but it's not the real thing. So imagine you're traveling and you're traveling the world and you want to visit somewhere, I don't know, um, Dubai. And, you, and, you, fly, and you're, you get to Dubai and you get to the airport and you take a photo, you take a selfie right in front of the big sign because I'm sure there's a big sign that says, Welcome to Dubai. And you get this sign and you like thumbs up and it look, looks great on Instagram and, you take, and then you leave and you never actually go into the city. And then your friend later is like, hey, I saw your post. How was Dubai? And you go, well, the, the sign was great, but I, I never actually went to the city. Your friend might think, well, but why'd you take a picture in front of the sign, but not actually, like, you were right, it was right there. The sign points to something, but the sign itself is not Dubai. It looks like the real thing, and it points to the real thing, and it directs you to the real thing, but it's not actually the real thing. You would miss out terribly if you made it all the way to the Dubai airport and took that photo and then just left. Jesus says, you're getting so worked up about the sign and the sign isn't bad, like it's a good thing and it's pointing you to something to something you really need. But see, if, if all you bank on is the sign, the physical, actual bread, you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. And you don't realize that the real thing is right in front, like I'm right in front of you, and I will fill you up in a way that you will never be hungry again. Don't confuse the sign with the real thing, Jesus says. Now, there's still some confusion, and the crowds are kind of wondering, like, what do we make of this? I don't know what exactly they're thinking. It has something to do, probably, we know, with a similar event in the Old Testament, because they respond in verse 31, and they say, well, our forefathers ate manna. Now, this is, a, this is actually a really good theological connection that they're making. 
So if you don't remember, if you're not familiar, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God's people are wandering through the desert for 40 years. Exodus tells us that there's about a million of them. And as you can imagine, it's hard to find food for a million people in the desert anywhere, much less for 40 consecutive years. But God, because he loves and cares for his people, literally makes it rain bread every single morning for 40 years. It literally just rains bread from heaven, and they go out and they eat. And it's not just like boring stale bread. It's actually, it's, it's, a, it's sweet. It's more like he made it rain croissants. And, and that's, right, it's not in the Hebrew, but you get the idea. And the Hebrew people come out, the first morning they come out, and they call it manna, which is a great name, because uh, in Hebrew, the word manna literally means like, what is it? And if you walked outside and there was just three inches of croissants piled up on the ground, you would be like, what is it? That's a good name. But a good Hebrew understood the symbolism behind the manna. We don't understand exactly how how did it physically, how did God, we don't know. All we know is that every morning for 40 years we ate. We had food to eat. God provided. So the crowd who's around Jesus says, well, our, our ancestors, they had manna. Are you doing that? What will you do? And Jesus may be thinking in his mind like, Do you remember yesterday? (laughs) But that's not even the point, which is why later on in John 6, and this isn't in the reading, but you can continue reading in John 6 and read it for yourself. Actually, twice, Jesus tells the crowd, listen, your, your ancestors, yeah, your ancestors ate manna, yes, in the wilderness. And twice he points out, and they died. Yes, your ancestors had this amazing sign. They still died. I am the bread of life. It's as if the crowds are pulled between looking to to either the tried and true or the shiny and new to find some sort of life or hope. They're either all about the shiny new sign, this amazing thing, or the traditional, the tried and true. Our ancestors ate manna. And Jesus says when it comes to our faith, both will leave you hungry. The tried and true crowd, that's the crowd that says, remember the, remember the good old days. You remember the good old, remember how, remember, wouldn't it be nice to go back to how things were way back when? Remember when everybody went to church? People need to get back to church. We just, we just got to get people back to church. That's what we need. Remember when churches were respected? Remember when you could talk about your faith without the fear of people looking at you sideways. And among other things, Jesus is emphasizing, remember what he says, your forefathers, they ate manna. It was pretty amazing. They still died. So often when we think about the, te- the past, we tend to, we forget the challenges, we just remember the good part. It's the proverbial rose-colored glasses. We're in, we're in parenting young kid phase, and, and as... Um, One of the things that we've noticed, I I need to tread a little bit carefully here. Um, We so appreciate and we need the encouragement from those of you who are a little further down the road to say, remember and just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. But as parents of young kids, I wager that the longer you get from having young kids, the more you forget how hard it is to enjoy a screaming kid at 2 a.m. You just forget. 
I mean, Jamie and I forgot in the five years between Elliot and Joanna were born, we forgot how hard it is. You just forget. Remember when our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness? Those were the good old days, right? And Jesus says, they still died. It was pointing to something, but it wasn't the real thing. The flip side is just as dangerous, by the way. That's the shiny and new. Just every, we need to, we need to, we're looking for novelty and something new. We need to, especially when it comes to church talk, people will say, we need to reimagine the church. We want to recreate the church. We want to reclaim the church. It's always re-something. All those old ways, like forget those. Let's just make something new. And Jesus says, you know, you, you might be so worried about the signs and wonders that you are forgetting who is right in front of you. We can apply this one very specifically to Middle Street right now because we're in a really sweet period of what you might call signs and wonders. And a lot of us have been talking about this. And those of you who've been here the longest actually know the most, like you feel in your bones what I'm talking about. There are deeply encouraging signs of life in this church family right now. And, and let's just praise God for those. For dozens of, of kids coming. For a sense of family and love and joy that we, that we all sense. And it's here in, in the service and it's during coffee hour and... I mean, I'll tell you, when I, and when I meet with other pastors, which I do on occasion, I tell them, I say, you know, we're, we're still, I don't think we're still back, maybe we're close now, but we're still not back to our pre-COVID numbers. And in some sense, I don't care if we ever get back to our pre-COVID numbers, because this is so good. And maybe there's two-thirds as many of us as there were before, but we're singing twice as loud. Like, this is so good. There are deeply meaningful signs of life here. But let's remember, they are signs they are not the real thing. They are meant to point us to something greater. The children, the singing, the joy, in and of themselves, they will not give us life unless they point us to Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we're just a big group of people who happen to have a lot of kids around and sing loud. And you know what? Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and it was great, and they died. Without Jesus, all of these signs, even the new and shiny that we're rejoicing, and, and it is right to rejoice in this, but let's just remind ourselves, without Jesus, they're bankrupt. They're like all of your Bitcoin. Some of you evidently invested in Bitcoin. <laughs> I am the bread of life, Jesus says. I'm the bread of life. Don't just look to this physical bread that you think is going to fill you up and will just leave you hungry again tomorrow. Look to me. I'm the bread of life. Let the signs point you to me. Let the singing point you to me. Let the children point you to me and teach you a thing or two about what it means to have a childlike faith. Yes and amen, but let them point you to me, Jesus says. I'm the bread of life. Now, at the end of John 6, Jesus gets really weird, and we're going to end on a weird note. The whole gospel is weird. Let's just face it. 
At the end of John 6, Jesus tells the crowd, he says, I'm the bread of life. This is verse 54. And he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood, just take that at face value, has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is one of the key bases for the Lord's Supper, by the way, which we're about to observe. That Jesus himself, the bread of life, leads to life. He doesn't just say, I'm bread. He says, I'm the bread of life. But let's just point out the obvious. You cannot eat the flesh of a creature that has not been killed. Whoever eats my flesh, Jesus says, and drinks my blood has eternal life. This is one of those core paradoxes of the Christian faith that we can only find life on the far side of death. I should say we can only find new life on the far side of death. And as we look ahead a week, in one week, we're going to be celebrating Easter Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. But you can't be raised from the dead if you're not dead first. Duh. Jesus says, do you want life? It comes from me. But if you are going to eat of my flesh, it means I'm going to have to give you my flesh. And that's going to cost me my life. And then he's going to take things one step further and say, actually, if you want to follow me, it's going to mean joining me in my death. Not always a physical death, not always a literal death, but a death to those things that you hold so dear it might mean letting our visions of the past and just how great the past was die. And it might mean letting our joy at the new life die in a sense, not because we don't like it, but is it possible that we've been clinging so much to the signs that we have lost sight of the true bread of life? Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3. He says, I want to know Christ. He's just spent a whole lot of time talking about all the accolades and all the accomplishments and achievements he's had. He says, you know, all that is, is worthless. He says, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. Is there anybody who doesn't want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, by the way? You want to know how? Paul tells us, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain resurrection from the dead. Jesus knew that if he was to be raised from the dead, he had to be dead first. And he invites us to join with him in not only his death, but also his new life. He says, eat this bread. I am the bread of life. And whoever eats my, bread, eats my body and drinks my blood, or eats my flesh and drinks my blood, will know eternal life. Let's pray. Lord, those are striking words. They are um, vivid images. They are unsettling images, if we're being honest. Guard us from the temptation to sanitize your word and to make it more comfortable or clean. 
Give us the grace and the discipline to wrestle, to engage in the productive struggle of wondering what in the world does he mean? But as we wrestle with what in the world you mean, even through that wrestling, would you feed us with the bread of life? Feed us and fill us so that we would never go hungry again. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.